Our first reading this morning is from Genesis, and we'll be in chapter 29 and beginning at verse 13. To provide you with some context before we begin reading, Jacob is on the run for his life and has gone to stay with his uncle Laban. He has already met Rachel and exchanged a kiss with her. Verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder one was Leah and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the elder one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. The second reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 through 24. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. 
Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God, who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her, so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Nephtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dina. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Let me pray before we look at this strange story of um, Genesis 29, 30. Our great God and Father, we thank you that you give us stories, even sad stories such as this one in the scriptures. They're memorable. Uh, would we learn lessons that you desire for us from the errors and mistakes of these characters so that our trust is in you, our delight is in Jesus, we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, this really is a very sad story. I'm sure you noticed that as it was read. All the characters are uh, warped, distorted out of shape by their own sin or how others sin against them. They're all bent in that sense. 
but then they make matters worse by trusting in their own schemes and ideas rather than trusting the Lord and what he's been promised. You read this account and perhaps particularly Rachel and Leah, you, you want to shout at them and say, no, 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 poor you, but don't do that. It'll just make things worse. Yes, your father is hopeless. Yes, your husband is pretty unpleasant. Yet we, we know you've been wronged, but, but don't do that. But they do. And so as we read it for you and for me, who are in different ways, but all of us are bent out of shape by our own sin, by how others have sinned against us and affected us. We're all bent out of shape in one way or another. The, the question will still be, will you trust your own schemes to sort stuff out? Or will you trust the Lord and his promises? Particularly when to trust your own schemes leads to immoral, unwise, disobedient action. Will you trust the Lord? Will you trust yourself? All the characters here pretty much trust themselves. Now, if you're joining us today, we're in this, uh, uh, this story then of, of Genesis 25 to 35 of uh, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, and the twin themes that, theme, themes, themes that run throughout the whole section are, one, this is a horrible family. I mean, they're terrible. The general rule of thumb when reading Genesis 25 to 35 is whatever they do, don't do that. That's rule of thumb. So this family are terrible. But alongside that, God has made promises and he pursues this family with relentless grace. He has said that the world will be blessed through this family and despite their behavior, he will choose to bless them. His is a grace in spite of our sin, not because of our goodness. Jacob has uh, been the dominant character and will be again after today, although he's a little passive, uh, particularly in chapter 30. Jacob, he's a schemer. His name literally means deceiver. Well, you kind of know what you're going to get with Jacob. He's cheated his brother Esau out of the blessing. He's lied and cheated his father Isaac. And now he's on the run. Chapters 28 to 32, he's on the run for his life. 20 years, he has to run away from his wider family. Now, despite all this, we've been told last time in chapter 28 that God is with Jacob. So chapter 28 in verse 15, the Lord says, I'm with you. I'll watch over you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. I mean, that's an amazing promise. I'm with you. And whatever I've said is going to happen, it's going to happen. I'll never leave you. And Jacob says, very good. I'll do it my way. Jacob schemes. He doesn't trust the Lord. For you and me, will we trust our own schemes? Will we trust the Lord? That's the question. Let's look at it via the main characters, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. Uh, Jacob longs for Rachel, Leah longs for love, Rachel longs for victory. It's all a bit of miserable. First then, Jacob longs for Rachel. 
So where we pick up the story, he's, um, he's already met beautiful Rachel in chapter 29 and verse 10, just before our reading, when Jacob saw Ra- Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well, watered his uncle's sheep. So it's not an unfamiliar scene. You can see it played up and down the land uh, in places today. A very attractive woman uh, enters the room or the scene, and um, uh, Jacob pulls in his stomach, pushes up his chest, and says, okay, let me impress this woman. And so it's this great big stone off the top of a well. Normally it would take numerous men to do so. Ka-ching, ka-ching, look at those guns. How about me, baby? And they have a little kiss. And uh, Laban realizes this is his nephew and thinks, hmm, big strong lad, penniless. I could use him around here. Could be useful. Stick around, my boy. And that's where we pick it up. So verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob's, his sister, excuse me, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him, embraced him, kissed him, brought him home. Okay. Now, verse 14, second half of it, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, well, look, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. What should I pay you? Well, interesting. Now we get to uh, the key element of the plot. Verse 16, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, whatever that means. Rachel was a bit obvious, by contrast, had a lovely figure and was beautiful of visage, the beauty. Okay. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years. And then I get Rachel to marry, okay? That's a crazy offer. Seven years work? That's way, way, way over the top. Even in the culture of the time when the the, the husband was meant to bring a, a, a gift into the marriage. Wow. Well, Laban's a good old schemer. So look at his reply. It's a crafty reply, verse 19. Oh, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. A bit noncommittal, that. Not entirely obvious what he's saying. Verse 20, I guess it's lovely. Verse 20, Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days <laughs> uh, because of his love for her. Well, he says love, but we'll soon see. Chapter 30, it's, he gets angry and he shouts and he rages. Not a lot of real love, certainly infatuation here. And he's impatient, verse 21. Jacob said to Laban, okay, time's up, seven years gone. Give me my wife, my time's completed, and I want to make love to her. Yes, there's one thing on his mind. It's clear what's driving him at this point, although it has been seven years, to be fair. Verse 22, there's a wedding, and there's a feast, and no doubt a lot of wine gets drunk at the wedding. And uh, so when they go, uh, the bride and groom go off, Laban slips Leah into the bedroom. Hmm. And verse 23, evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah, brought her to Jacob. Jacob made love to her, and the maidservant as well. Well, so the marriage is consummated. And verse 25, when morning comes, Jacob rolls over. Morning, my darling. Whoa! (laughs) Um, It's not the figure I was expecting or the face I was expecting. It's lazy-eyed Leah or whoever the issue is with her eyes. Um... And he's such a nice man. Well, what does he say to Leah, Jacob? Nothing. Just ignores her. And verse 25 goes straight to Laban and says, what's this? What's this you've done for me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? 
And you hope at that point something clicks in his head. You've deceived me, Laban. Hold on. Just like I deceived my dad, Isaac, and my brother, Esau, just like I cheated them, you've cheated me. Ouch. I think this is a divine sense of humor, divine sense of justice. Jacob, you reap what you sow. It's no fun when you're on the receiving end of a deception, is it? No. Is your character going to change, Jacob? Not yet. Throughout this account, the last few chapters, Jacob tries to secure blessing through his own scheming, through his own deceptions, rather than trusting the promise of God. And here it comes back and bites him. Jacob, trust God, not your own schemes. He longed for Rachel. Let's turn to the women then. Leah, first of all. Very sad, uh, this. Leah. Leah longs for love, while Rachel longs for victory. First of all, Leah then. Well, you can imagine, here's a woman who's lived in the shadow of her stunning sister the whole of her life. Every time they enter the room, men gravitate towards Rachel and ignored Leah. Leah lacked the affirmation, perhaps, desperate for a man to love her. She finally gets a husband, verse 30. Well, we've, sorry, we've had that in verse 25. Eventually, uh, uh, Jacob works longer and marries Rachel as well. So verse 30, Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Oh. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. Oh. Leah's wanted love, the love of a husband, and it's not there. hasn't got the man she wants but she can have kids and the sort of exceptional level of detail you get on all the names of the children reveals what's going on here so first of all she has a son uh, uh, verse 32 Reuben uh, verse 32 uh, Lee gives birth it named him Reuben for she said it's because the Lord has seen my misery surely my husband will love me now hmm then verse 33 gives birth to another son. Uh, the Lord has heard that I'm not loved. He gave me this one too, named him Simeon, which means one who hears. Okay, God has heard me. Verse 34, again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Oh, Leah. One son didn't do it, two sons didn't do it, but three sons, now I've given him three sons. Now he'll love me. No. Very sad indeed. It's a tragic story, isn't it? Here's a woman who thinks that the only way for a meaningful existence, perhaps, is, is to have a husband. We're not told the details, but she's desperate for the affections of her husband. Never gives thanks for the children. She doesn't say, well, I've married a cad. I've married a useless loser in Jacob. I mean, he's despicable, really. But I've got great kids, and the Lord has heard me. He listens to my prayer. It's wonderful that God cares for me. No, she doesn't say that. She says, well, who cares about the Lord? The only thing that matters is Jacob, and he doesn't like me. Or he loves my sister more. 
I'm not interested in what the Lord says about me. I'm only interested in him. Well, that has a contemporary ring to it, perhaps. I think many people grow up resenting a, a, a Rachel in the family, in the office, in church, the glamorous one who gets all the attention. You think, no, I want some attention. It's a glimmer of hope in verse 35. She conceived again. And when she'd given birth to a son, she said, this time I'll praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Okay, so that's good. Got her fourth child. She said, I praise the Lord now. But her idol raises up pretty quickly again in a moment. But Leah longs for love. Rachel longs for victory. <laughs> pretty unworthy motives going on here. So chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became, well, not sad because she was the mothering type, not disappointed because she'd love to raise some kids. No, she became jealous of her sister. Wow. I'm, I'm the top dog around here. Okay, I'm Rachel. Everyone love, look, look at me. I, I look great in a dress. I've got a great figure and look at my face and everyone pays attention to me. And now you've got the kids and people are paying attention to you. I hate it. I'm jealous of you. Golly. So she said to Jacob, one of only two times he gets addressed in the chapter, give me children or I'll die. Wow. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Now, there is an irony. Come chapter 35, she gives, she, excuse me, she dies while giving birth. So an ironic conclusion to that phrase. But here again, you see, Leah, she has children, but she longs for the affections of Jacob. Rachel has the affections of Jacob. She longs for children. Both resent their sister for what they've got. Neither gives thanks for what they own or possess. It's all very sad. Rachel comes up with a plan, though. She's not going to leave it like that. So she turns to her maidservant. Uh, a Bilha and uh, two sons come from Bilha. Um, says, okay, sleep with the, uh, uh, the young um, servant. And, uh, well, it sort of works, I guess. She has these two kids, Dan, meaning I vindicated, and Naphtali, meaning my struggle. And you can see her conclusion when these two boys are born. Verse 8, Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister, and I've won. I've won. She doesn't say, oh, I've got some children now to look after. I really wanted some children. Couldn't have my own, but I can adopt these. That my I've won. I've beaten my sister. I can't have Leah beating me in anything. Oh, dear. Well, I wonder if there's a contemporary ring to that as well. Some of us grow up and think, well, I'm used to having the attention on me. I don't like it if someone else gets the attention. Give me the promotion or I'll die. Give me a certain level of income or I'll die. Give me more than him or I'll die. Never that blunt. Not many of us are likely to get into a baby race. But we can believe that our meaning is found in victory, in having more than one of our peers, even within our own family can be like that, can't it? Oh, they've got more kids than we've been able to 
have a source of resentment. They've got more income. They've got a bigger house, my siblings, than I've gotten resentment. Leah's idols refuse to remain dormant. Verse nine, oh, okay, I see, so I see what you've done. You've used your, your, your maidservant. Well, two can play at that game. So verse nine, when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Well, and then you get the, another round of children, two more sons, Gad, Fortune, Asher, Happy. But when Asher's born, the women will call me happy, she says, verse 13. But there's no praise of the Lord as there was in 2935. Things seem to have got a little more entrenched for Leah, a bit more stubborn in this baby race. Then verse 14 onwards, you get this crazy mandrake incident, not screaming plants of Harry Potter. Um, but in ancient times, mandrakes were viewed as an aphrodisiac, potentially a cure for infertility whatever uh, they were rare anyway so when Reuben finds some Rachel's keen verse 14 uh, Reuben went out into the fields he found some mandrake plants he brought to his mother Leah Rachel said to Leah oh, hold on a minute they, they, they can help, help with fertility give me your mandrakes please verse 15 Leah said well hold on a minute it wasn't enough you took away my husband you're going to take my son's mandrakes too stealing the drugs that might give me an advantage. Well, very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. Verse 16, when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I've hired you. Oh, what a wretched family this is. I've hired you, my husband. I've paid for you to come and act well, like a stud horse or a prize bull. Again, he's just a commodity here. It's only the second time he's addressed in the chapter, useless Jacob. One, give me children or I'll die, chapter 30, verse one. And secondly here, you, you gotta sleep with me tonight. So he does what he's told. He's so passive. Horrible. Well, and there's, there's another son, verse 19. She conceives and gives birth to Jacob. In verse 20, Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I've borne him six sons. She named him Zebulun. Oh, Leah, have you not learned? You're not even asking for love now like you were earlier, just honor. I've given up on Jacob loving me. Just to respect me would be, would be enough. I mean, the score at this point, if you include the sort of surrogate kids, is 8-2 to Leah. I mean, she's doing pretty well um, in terms of winning the competition, but still. Maybe this time Jacob will care. She just can't see past this obsession. I'm desperate for the love of a man, my husband, to care for me. Finally, at the end of this wretched account, verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. Not that he'd forgotten, but in biblical language, when God remembers, he acts. And so Rachel will get a son. And she named him Joseph, of Technicolor coat, etc. fame. And more of him later. What a wretched story. 
Who do you want to model your life upon here? None of them. Jacob longs for Rachel, but it's obsession really, not love. Leah longs for love. The love of her husband doesn't get it. Rachel longs for victory. Never really knows it, although there's a, perhaps a little hint, just a hint at the end, although she's still losing 8-3. So what do we do with this? Well, don't be like them. And then at the end, we have to say, let's turn to the Lord, who sort of lingers in the background of the account. And the Lord shows relentless grace. Three little things that jump out for me. First is, uh, he opens the womb, you can trust him. Of course, chapters 29 and 30 are a whole raft of schemes to produce children. Desperate, anything, to get children and outbirth the sisters. But do notice what goes on really. So chapter 29 and verse 31, the Lord enables Leah to conceive. Chapter 30, verse 22 the Lord enables Rachel to conceive. It's a very real pain when you can't. But the point here in this story is, don't trust your own schemes, your own machinations. Trust the Lord. Do what's right. He opens the womb. You can trust him. Second thing to note would be he blesses sinners, so thank him. (laughs) Uh, He blesses sinners despite themselves, despite their pagan actions. Rachel gets a son. I mean, she's so undeserving. I mean, you sort of want the story to finish with Rachel miserable. She's even worse than Leah, although they're both get it wrong she's at least you have a bit more sympathy for Leah you realize she's sort of at the mercy of how badly she's been treated by others her response is bad but Rachel come on you're the privileged one and still but God is kind to this dramatic sinner give me children or I'll die well she does get a son God is kind to her Leah gets numerous sons but I guess most striking of all she gives birth to Judah who in time, a few generations later, comes David, the great king of the Old Testament. And a few generations later comes Jesus. She's the great, 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 squared, etc. Grandmother of Jesus. They don't deserve it. But God is kind. He blesses sinners. So he opens the wound, trust him. He blesses sinners, thank him. But I guess similar, but most striking of all, the Lord is sovereign over sin. Praise him. I mean, who is the hero of this story? Well, none of the humans. They're a wretched family. And yet God is relentlessly working out his purposes Chapter 30 is, is at the center of the uh, on-the-run narrative of chapters 28 to 32. Uh, I think it's sort of the focus is given by being at the center of the sandwich, as it were. But certainly here, 12 sons are born. 
the 12 tribes of Israel are born in this sinful, wretched mess. God is going to use these, well, there's only 11 so far, uh, Benjamin's still to come, um, but use these 12 sons to form a nation. He's relentlessly at work and he achieves his plans despite the wicked sin of the characters here. You can always trust the God who is sovereign over history. You can always trust him. He will always achieve his purposes despite our sin. The greatest crime this planet saw was the death of the only perfect man to ever walk this planet, the murder of Jesus Christ, the rejection of God himself. That's the greatest sin that's ever been committed on this planet, wickedness. And yet through that sin, God achieved the salvation of the world. You can't stop him achieving what he planned. So why would you not trust him? Why trust your own schemes, which is here so often end in sadness and further misery? Why not trust him, who is able to bring good out of the worst? So this sad story of these individuals obsessed with the wrong things, unable to give thanks for good things, trusting their own schemes rather than trusting God and his promises. Don't be foolish like that. Trust the one who, through Jesus, through the death of his son, was able to achieve all that he had promised. Trust him not yourself, not your silly schemes. Trust him. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we, we read this soap opera of uh, this family and it's profoundly sad, really, particularly the women who have been treated badly by their husbands, by their father, particularly Leah, who no doubt has been resentful much of her. It's they're just so miserable. What a mess. And yet the decisions they take to deal with this mess just make stuff worse. Father, would we be those who, despite our own sin, despite how we've been sinned against, trust you? Don't run against you. Don't act immorally, unwisely, but trust you rather than our own schemes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.